Hey guys, we are live. Welcome to the Baxter Riches Podcast. I'm your host, Zach Ginn. In today's episode, I'm telling you, we are going to break down James's real estate wholesaling business. He is living the dream life for the average wholesaler looking out. He has an awesome condo. He's living the laptop lifestyle. And he runs one of the largest real estate wholesaling businesses in Jacksonville. And next year, probably around the country. I'm so excited to learn about James's virtual wholesaling enterprise, this whole business. And really, we're just going to unravel the curtain today and really see how he's doing it. And most importantly, how you can do the same exact thing. Welcome, James. Thank you, man. I appreciate you having me on. All right. So let's get this out of the way. I really want to unravel your business here, but let's get this from the start. How did you get into real estate wholesaling? Sure. So I started in 2010. I was working at a bridge company. Uh, so we actually did the Woodrow Wilson in DC. It's a school, school company, but it was the nine to five grind, right? That um, everyone wants to get out of the rat race. And, you know, same type of story where I just happened to have a friend that was wholesaling um, and I was going to become an agent. So I was going to go to school and get my license. And I learned about what he was doing and seeing his success. And I'm like, man, you know, I want to do this. He wouldn't really share with me uh, a lot of like how he was doing it. It was more of, uh, you know, the scarcity mindset there. So uh, what I did is back then YouTube was still new and everything else. And I just started like going on YouTube and like doing research, trying to figure out anything that I possibly could uh, of what was what this was. Right. And uh Actually, I, I started figuring it out, man. Um, then that's that's how I did it. And then I took the leap, started sending some uh, direct mail and ended up getting my first deal for four grand. It was like four or five months uh, after I had learned about it. And then I did my uh, second deal, which was a two house package for uh, 20 grand and most money I've ever seen in my life. Uh, when I started, I had 900 bucks, right? Like that's that's how I started. And, uh, you know, not saying I recommend this, but once I did that second deal, I, I was like, all right, that's it. I'm all in. I quit my job and the rest is history. Wow. And what city was this all in your first couple of deals? Uh, that was in St. Augustine. Well, it's Jacksonville, St. Augustine area. Yeah. Okay. So my question here is, so looking back right now, if someone looks from the outside, you're living in Miami, you got a pretty cool apartment, you're living the lifestyle, you're recording YouTube videos, you're helping people out in wholesaling, but how are you doing deals from your apartment? This makes no sense for the average investor. Yeah, well, I mean, I also have a partner too. So mm -hmm. I have a, a full blown, like my operation runs out of Jacksonville. Okay. Um, and, you know, so we do like, we do a lot of fix and flips. We obviously do wholesale, stuff like that. Um, and we do a lot of deals there, right? And then we also do deals throughout Florida um, and then, you know, in some other states, right? So uh, what's really good about the situation that I have uh, is, you know, my my business partner and I are the exact like opposite in the best way possible, right? Mm -hmm. So we, we really, really work well together. Um, he works more on like the fix and flips and like, uh, you know, dealing with raising the money and the investors and all that stuff. And then I work more on the wholesale side, like the sales, the marketing. Uh, so it's a really good blend that we have there playing to each other's strengths. And it just, it just works really well, man. All right. Who's the visionary and who's the integrator between the two? This is where it gets even better. We're both visionaries. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you make that work? Huh? How do you make that work? 
Yeah. So one thing that was very important to me, um, and if you want, I can tell you the story and like how we met and everything else. That's that's really up to you. But, uh, you know, our values and everything are very aligned. So for me, it was important that I never thought that I would want a business partner. Right. Like that was never in the cards that I was like, oh, I want to go with a good business partner at all. Uh, so we just happened to meet up and we were running across each uh, deals. Right. So back then this was like 2013. Uh, you know, it was very, very like Craigslist and like posting deals and finding buyers. That was like some of the hottest time I remember of like Craigslist was a big, big thing. Um, so we just kept running across deals. We talked. I'm like, hey, I have this super hot lead um, in a great area. Why don't we just meet up there tomorrow? We did. We walked the house uh, and he was like, hey, you know, what do you think if I bring the money, if I could raise the money for this and we actually flip this house? I was like, sure. We, I'd never flipped the house at the time. And uh, we, we did. We flipped that house. We did the Home Depot trips together, the whole nine yards, brought in one of our buddies. That was a GC. Um, and we actually ended up making over $100,000 on that wow. deal. Yeah, for our first flip. Uh, so that'll get you excited really quick, right? Uh, and, you know, we just noticed that we worked really well together. Uh, you know, again, like the values were aligned and everything else. Uh, and, you know, what, what's crazy about us being two visionaries is there's never really been a time in our business to where we hit a stalemate that was like, all right, I'm on this side and you're on that side. We've always found a way to, uh, to make it work. Um, and, you know, part of that is our visions align, right? That's really the key. So as long as you're, you could be two visionaries, but if the visions are in alignment, then you're okay. But, uh, you know, we obviously have to have someone that is also the integrator on the team, which we do. Okay. And so what is your real estate virtual wholesaling business? I mean, I think your real estate virtual business is very similar to mine, which I really like it is you have boots on the ground there. You got some people doing it over the phones. You got it all going on, but what does your virtual wholesaling business look like right now? Uh, as far as what, like team marketing, like the whole system. Okay, sure. So like I said, I primarily I'm down here, right? Like I'll go back and forth. A lot of the, we actually own two offices or we own one and then we rent one in Jacksonville. Um, and then people will bounce in and out, but it's, it's for the most part, it's fully remote, right? Like most people work from home. Uh, we have, that's like us based, like up there in that area, we have seven people. Uh, and then we also have five VAs um, that, you know, do a lot of texting for us and like miscellaneous, like administrative tasks and everything else. But as far as the office goes, like it's not packed out. It's not, uh, it's not cranking people. The office manager will go in and out, uh, you know, cut checks to like subcontractors, stuff like that. But for the most part, everyone's fully remote. Um, so we'll have uh, obviously acquisitions. We have dispositions. We have project manager. We have office manager, we have full-time marketing on staff. Um, you know, we gotta, we gotta build out, man. And we're, uh, we're planning on expanding out even, uh, even bigger than that, much bigger going into 2021. Nice. And would you say, what's the percentage of the deals that you'll actually take down and flip versus the ones you'll just wholesale? So we try to stay around like 50 flips okay. per year. Uh, so that's, that's really, we're at least looking to buy, you know, two or three a month 
um, you know, on average that we're going to flip. Uh, and sometimes those won't even just be our deals. Uh, you know, every once in a while we'll, we'll buy some from wholesalers as well. Um, it's not as common, but we do buy uh, deals from other people too. Okay. So would you say about half then? No, no. I would say like, yeah, I mean, 20% maybe, Jeez. 20%. People hear 50, they're like, oh my gosh, that must be a whole full year of uh, transactions for someone. Wow. So, geez. And so the rest of your wholesaling. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, primarily that's the focus is the wholesale. Okay. And are these fix and flips, are they like wholesales or like full on re renovations? Both. Uh, we do some that are hotels in and out where, uh, you know, we might take it down and do like some quick paint carpet, something like that, and then just relist it on the MLS. Um, and then we've also done a, like a lot of historic uh, flips. Uh, we have one, two, three. We have like four or five historic districts up there. Um, and, you know, we do a lot of uh, historic flips as well. So, I mean, those are crazy, crazy renovations, but they usually pay really well. And, uh, you know, we have good crews and processes in place to handle that. All right. And so just to take a zoom out of here, overall in the business, I mean, you're, you're crushing this, but I just really want to take a deep dive on this just to help the people out if they want to not copy your business, but really try to see if they can duplicate your success in Duval County and anywhere else in the U.S. So primarily for you, how are you pulling your lists? Uh, we use our software. Okay, uh, what is that? Automator. Yeah, that's literally where we pull all our data. Okay. And is it a, is it like your website? Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, flipmorehouses.com. Okay. That, that's where you could access it. All right. And you're pulling your data from there. And what's your top list for 2020, you would say? Man, I, I'm going to tell you right now, and I just posted this the other day, and I was like, even when I was posting, I'm like, <sighs> You know, it's one of those yeah. where I'm like, do I really want to post it? Um, and, you know, I think if you really think about opportunity, right, uh, that a big part of that is looking at what the current events are around you um, and what's going on in the country. And I think like one of the hottest lists is going to be for 2020 or 2021 is like 55 plus landlords that own multiple properties. Right. So everyone always markets to individuals that own one property. Right. Like that's that's the most common, uh, you know, list that everyone talks about pulling. But if you want to do more deals, why wouldn't you market to someone that owns multiple properties that will potentially be liquidating anyway soon just due to age? Right. And not in all cases, but in certain cases. Um, and then with the economic climate, with people not paying rent and stuff like that, and combined with the market being very, very high right now, it's just a very, very strong recipe for landlords like that to liquidate their property. So that would provide you an opportunity to not just buy one property, but potentially a whole portfolio of properties that you could take them. I 100% agree with you. That has been my top list. My top deal this year, $70,000 wholesale. I made it from a deal especially, you know, in Florida, Ron DeSantis kept delaying the eviction moratorium. And I had a landlord. He was like, yeah. 60, he was like, I'm done. I'm like, just, I'm giving you this house. You deal with mm -hmm. it. And got the landlord out, cash for keys. It was amazing. And honestly, from that four month period, I think what April to maybe November, it was the best list. Now fictions are starting to go on more and more, but hands down, this has been the best one for me in Florida. So it's a crusher, man. 
Oh man. And then for 2021, are you still looking to do that list? Do you think primarily? Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, we're going to be hitting that list. I mean, we're going to be hitting all of them, but, uh, that list is definitely a big one. Um, that's on our radar. And actually we like doing a lot of like virtual driving for dollars too. Um, cause we can do that in the software and like just going into strategic neighborhoods that we know, um, that, you know, produce the biggest fees. So like at the end of the year, we'll do our end of the year meeting. We'll say, all right, so here's all the deals that we did. Where were the best fees, right? And the easiest deals to, uh, actually close. And, you know, that's, that's what we'll do. So we'll go into those neighborhoods and just in case, right? Like it, some of these properties don't make it on a certain list. Right. And like you might not even know about them, but they're there. So uh, we'll have one of the VAs go in there and virtually drive for dollars and just like anything that looks like it needs work, build that list. And uh, we'll hit that multiple ways with some omni channel marketing as well. Nice. And can you do age with REI Automator? Yeah. Oh, wow. That's pretty cool. I don't think ProfStream's got that. So. It's just interesting seeing all that. Well, um, remember, I got the I got the back end too. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. uh, so yeah, guys, that's interesting. Age is definitely something. Uh, I'm, I'm telling you, I don't think I've done a deal this year from someone under the age of thirty. So it's definitely something interesting it's, to look at. It's, and, and I'm going to tell you, man. Like when we look at our data, like most of our sellers they're all at a minimum, usually in their forties. Like we'll get some in their thirties and every once in a while, maybe in their twenties. But for the most part, they're typically that, you know, like middle age and older demographic. All right. And once you're pulling these amazing lists, I mean, that's half the equation. And then the marketing and acquisitions is after that, but how are you actually marketing to those lists? Uh, so many ways. Uh, we still do uh, actually a lot of direct mail. Uh, I mean, I've, I've done direct mail since that was like how I started and I still do some today. Uh, we're not doing nowhere near the volume that we were at one time. Uh, like a couple of years ago, we were sending over, you know, a hundred thousand plus postcards, you know, a month, um, for a while. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. So yeah, no, it was, it was a lot and it's a lot of money, right? It's a, it's a big, big marketing budget. So we've really just kept refining over time, digging into the data, what works the best, what doesn't, um, to just keep whittling that down to, uh, you know, the, what can we, what's the optimal amount that we can send? Um, what's the optimal amount that we can send and still produce the results? Uh, so that's, that's what we're always looking at. Right. And then we're going to text them. Uh, so we're, we're big on texting. Uh, we also do a little bit of cold calling. Uh, and as far as like other marketing channels, we do like the PPC. Um, but as far as the list go, uh, we try to stay with like texting direct mail. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm a big direct mail guy. I think it always works. I think with new regulations coming with cold calling and SMS, I'm still going to keep it going. Again, it's the only marketing channel the government supports. Uh, so I always love that. So, you're doing that cold calling SMS direct mail. Is there any other ones that you having more success with that success in that's kind of on the breakout? Well, as far as like marketing channel. Yeah. Is there anything you're testing out there and you're having any success with? As far as testing, uh, I, I mean, we're always testing different stuff uh, in those channels. And I mean, we've tried just about every channel that you could, <laughs> you yeah. could think of over time. And we just really, again, like 
optimize like the channels that have always performed best for us, uh, you know, to get those results that we're looking for. Uh, so we're still testing, like texting, like we'll, we'll test like all different types of messages. Right. So we're always changing up the messages and like trying different, like little unique, uh, you know, messages that aren't that common that, you know, people kind of catch people off guard, stuff like that. Um, and with direct mail, the same thing. Uh, we'll, we'll test different stuff, but we've really gotten direct mail down to a point uh, where we don't test as much in direct mail because we know what works really, really well. Um, and every time like we test something new at this point, it's like it still gets the results but it never gets as good of results as, you know, what we've proven to work the best, which is crazy. And we, we've done some crazy stuff too. Like we've tried all kinds of stuff with direct mail. Um, that's really, really interesting. That's outside of the box. And it all usually goes back to, uh, you know, about like five to 10 different pieces that perform the best. Yeah. All right. And have you messed with letters at all or is it mostly postcards? Oh uh, yeah, we do some letters. We not nowhere near as many as we do postcards, but yeah, we still do some letters as well. Okay. And since you're blasting that stuff out, when it comes to your acquisitions, I always say it's probably one of the most important bottlenecks you can have in your whole business. How are you training your acquisitions people? And how does that whole acquisition system look for you? Sure. So, well, depending on which side, right, whether it's an in-person or, you know, the virtual side, um, with the virtual side, uh, what we've done is essentially created uh, like a quick start process to onboard fast. Uh, see where I made a big mistake and a lot of people I think make this mistake uh, is, you know, they're out there when they're like, all right, I need an acquisitions person. So ideally this person knows about real estate already, or if they don't, then when I bring them on, I want them to know like all oh, how to run comps and this and that and the other, and you know, all this crazy stuff that, you know, can take a lot of time that you invest into someone and before they they've even proven to you that they're going to actually be able to do it and generate the results. So you, I mean, we've done this multiple times over the years where we poured into these people invested in them and then they turn out not being good right then we have to get rid of them we wasted time we wasted money um so we do our best to try to avoid that and we have uh like what's called offer automator so it's like an offer calculator feature in the software so the onboarding is more like a, a day of like hey this is everything that you really need to know here's how you're going to calculate your offers um as you you know the leads are coming in and uh you know you got a week right so at the end of this week we're going to evaluate and like see see where we're at um and if the results aren't there we don't see the potential or you know it doesn't work out for either side um then you know we're just going to part ways and move on uh so i mean we found that to be very very effective uh just simply because especially in the virtual game and this is just my opinion, right? Like looking at it from a business perspective is you need to start looking at it more as a product than real estate, right? When you think of it as real estate, then it's, it, it just feels more complicated, right? It just, it just feels a lot more nuanced than if you just said, Hey, this is a product that we buy and sell to make money, right? So here's a streamlined process on, 
how we're going to acquire these properties. Here's the streamlined process on how we're going to, you know, uh, disposition these properties. And, you know, it, when you when you look at it more like that, um, I think it, things can become a lot more clear uh, and easier to like build out the team um, versus making it like this super convoluted process of like you got a crash course. Uh, two weeks, three weeks, a month worth of all this real estate content. And like, then you're going to go out there and start actually seeing if you can do the job or not. It's just a big time waste in my opinion. Okay. And so in your business right now, how many acquisitions people do you have? Two right now. So we just, we just lost one. Um, and we're going to be hiring, uh, like four, uh, three or four in January because again, we're about to expand it out. We're opening up four new states uh, and then we're gonna, uh, by the end of the first quarter, the goal is to essentially be the entire country. Okay, and what is the biggest no-no when it comes to hiring an acquisitions person? The biggest no-no, that's a, that's a good question. No one's ever asked me that, the biggest no-no. Let me think about that. The biggest no-no. I would say a big one that I see a lot of people do uh, is they get super invested in someone and feel like, hey, this person is definitely going to be like the one, especially when you're new and you start building out the team um, instead of letting the results speak for themselves. Right. So it's like I would rather not really put mix my feelings in on like what I think based on their resume or the way they test on the predictive index. Um, because that's what we'll have them do. We make them go through a predictive index. Um, and, you know, that's part of the hiring process to make sure like their profile like matches like what a strong acquisition person would be. Um, and, you know, some people just like they they just look at it on paper and think, oh, this person's going to be great. But you really don't know until they're in in the game and actually doing it. You really don't know what's going to happen. So, you know, kind of making that predetermined, uh, you know, notion that they're going to be great and then they don't. And then this, uh, again, I've been there where I, I've done that. And then I invest all this time and energy into someone they turn out not being good at all. So that's a big one for me. Okay. And for the ones that the acquisitions people that never work out, is there a common trait you've seen with all of them? Yeah, man. Usually they'll test really, really well. Right. Um, but they feel like, and this is common with salespeople, right? Like salespeople have big, bold personalities typically, right? Like they're kind of like, they want to, they're closers. Um, and what I have found with that's common across all of them is they typically start feeling like they can do it better than you, but they really can't because they, they usually prove that they're not good at all, but then they want to get in there and start changing the process and everything else. And it's like, I mean, you're not even closing deals yet. So it's like, stop blaming the process. Like there's only one variable here, right? That is not proven and that's you. It's not the process. The process is proven. So typically it's that they start looking for other things to blame that it's not them. It's something else instead of themselves. Definitely. My personal favorites when my acquisitions guy decides to leave to start his own wholesaling business and then goes oh, out yeah. in three months. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's common. You know, I mean, I, that hasn't happened to me yet. Oh, really? Um, yeah. But uh, I hear about it all the time. Many, many friends that's had it happen to them. All right. And so the acquisitions, I mean, it's more or less a revolving door sometimes. 
Again, I really want to deep dive on this because in my four years throughout my whole businesses, that is always the hardest one. That's taking me the longest to really figure out is getting the right guy in there. And how do you stay, how do you keep an acquisitions guy happy and in the actual business without having them, you know, want to wander off or leave? Well, a big thing is uh, with salespeople is they want to feel like they're going to grow, right? Which is also typical of many other employees. So I think what happens is a lot of people put them in this box, right? So they get hired. They're like, all right, so here's your base. Here's what you can make percentage on the deal, yada, yada, yada. And then it's like, that's it. Right. So a lot of them just keep them stagnant at that. So if you bring them up to a high level percentage or where it's going to affect your business, you know what I mean? If you start bringing them above that, if you bring them up at that top tier already before they've even proven themselves, guess what? Like it's going to be hard to retain them because they're going to, even though they're, they could be making a lot of money, right? A lot of money. They just feel like their growth is capped. And that's, that's a big, big deal for an acquisitions person or anyone in sales. They always want to feel like they can do more. Now, the argument can be made that it's like, oh, well, you know, from the uh, the owner or the boss's perspective that, oh, well, if you want to make more, just do more, produce more, whatever. Well, what happens when they, you know, once you have one sales guy that's producing like a million and a half dollars or more, you know, a year by themselves. Um, and, you know, they are grinding like 70 hours a week. Like there is no more they can do. So where do they go? right? Like they hit this ceiling and they want to feel like they're growing. So a big thing is bringing them in at a level that they can actually grow and progress with you and the company and potentially move up. So the company needs to be growing at the same time to potentially make them like a sales manager or something, right? Where you can increase um, and reward them for their results. All right. And how do you train your acquisitions people? Because Duval County, there's some, there's a lot of killers out there. Uh, I'm not going to lie. There, there's some really good guys, but there's enough deals to be done there. How do, what do you tell your acquisitions person? What should they do when they meet a seller? Because 2021, there's more saturation than ever. What do you tell your acquisitions person to do when they're in a situation when there's like six wholesalers after one crazy motivated seller? How do they get the deal? So for one, I tell them that we don't do bidding wars, right? So it's going to be the exact opposite of what most people are going to do. Most people are going to say, oh, well, you know, I can give you, you know, $80,100. I can, you know, increase the binder. I can do this. I can do that. They're chasing the deal. We retract, right? So it's like we hold ourselves to a higher standard. We're not going to get into a bidding war. Like we know the value that we provide and, and that's it. So, you know, we'll just do the takeaway. Right. Um, and it's usually different than what the seller experiences with everyone else because they're chasing the deal. They're chasing the money. Like we don't need the deal. Right. So we're in a position to where if we don't get the deal, it's okay. We'll, we'll get another deal maybe later today or maybe tomorrow, but we don't need this deal. So that's the position that we take. Okay. And how important is speed for you guys? In what way? Do you tell your acquisitions person, you know, try to close the deal as fast as possible, especially over the phones, or are you trying to get better deals and kind of build our rapport more? No, I mean, I'm fine with, I'm fine. So both, right. And the way that I train them is it depends, right. It's almost like, this is when it starts getting really deep, 
right? Like into the training side and like the progression and how they're growing and, you know, like doing coaching every day with them and everything else. Um, it depends. It depends on the deal. Um, and it depends on the situation. There are certain instances where I'll say, look, we're going to like hard push, let's get it closed. Uh, and then there's going to be certain instances where I'm like, Hey, you know, um, they're not ready in the selling cycle yet. So it's fine. We can just go ahead and let them do their thing and we'll follow up aggressively and see what happens. All right. And so you keep getting these deals, you got them locked up. How, who makes the decision on if this is going to be a flip and you're just going to make that into a cash cow and who makes the decision is just going to be a wholesale. Yeah. So uh, my business partner, a lot of times will make the call. And if he's like, Oh, you know, we should flip this one. Then I'll just let him run with that. All right. And is there any criteria that you kind of go off of? Yeah, we try to stay uh, below typically the, you know, right at the median or below. So like 300,000 and less. Uh, and then ideally, uh, you know, we have it broken out into different areas where it's like in this area, uh, you know, we want, this price range and only this much rehab in this area, you know, we'll, we'll be willing to go above that. Um, because we also, we do some nicer properties too. Like we, we have a flip right now that's like on the water, um, in Jacksonville, it's $700,000 flip. Um, so we just have it broken out to where, Hey, you know, this, these are the areas, this is what we're willing to do as far as rehab in these areas. Um, and we just make the decision based on that. Okay. I mean, that's what I appreciate you coming on here. I mean, a lot of people find it very sexy. I mean, you're on TikTok showing hundred thousand dollar wholesale checks. I mean, they're amazing. It's awesome. But in my personal opinion, wholesaling is just one part of the equation. I mean, becoming a full real estate investor is so important. I mean, when did you really make the transition from a wholesaler to doing like complete real estate investing? I would say about 2015. Uh, 2015. So I'd been in it about five years. Um, and we went back and forth. So for a while there, we only flipped fix and flip. We stopped wholesaling and we're like, you know what, we're just going to do fix and flips. Um, but the problem that you run into there, and this is why, like we found doing a blend is really, really great. Especially when you're like new or starting out with like fix and flips, right. Is cash flow is tough. Right. Like when you're like doing like all fix and flips, because you're not, I mean, these are months, you know, usually down the road before you get paid. And then if you're over budget on stuff and then you didn't budget enough for that rehab, right? Um, well, guess what? That money's coming out of your pocket. So it can really hurt cash flow a lot, just flipping houses until you get to a point with a, a level of cash that it's like, okay, you know, if I don't get paid for the next six months, seven months, eight months, like it's not that big of a deal. Right. But like, you got to have that type of cash if you just want to flip, um, do fix and flip. So I like the blend, man. Like we use the, uh, you know, the wholesaling business is like the cash machine that generates, uh, the cash to provide, uh, provide us with other opportunities in real estate investing. Uh, so it's cool too. We just bought, um, in downtown St. Augustine, like a couple months ago, 
uh, which uh, for anyone that doesn't know, St. Augustine is the oldest city in the entire country. I don't know if everyone knows that or not, but uh, like right in the heart of downtown, it's so hard to get deals there, like extremely, extremely difficult in the center of downtown. Um, and it's, uh, we're going to Airbnb it, but it's like on the ghost, it's on like two of the ghost tours and stuff. It's supposed to be like one of the most haunted houses in, uh, in St. Augustine. So it was pretty cool, um, that we ended up getting a crusher, crusher deal on that. Uh, we paid like three twenty five five fifty for it and just ARV, um, you know what I mean? On paper, it would be about six fifty ish. Um, but we got an offer for a commercial lease that we might potentially take for $10,000 a month. So if we take that commercial lease, now we're up at like $900,000 if we wanted to do a cash out. So, which is, which is huge. And like, we'll be into this thing, uh, you know, for about four, four forty, four fifty total. So that's an awesome deal that, you know, is like a wealth deal where we're going to keep that in our portfolio. We'll probably never sell it. All right. And on the disposition side here, so obviously you do some flipping, you'll keep some of them. When it comes to actually doing the cash buyers and you know putting people through there and assigning them, what's your biggest secret for building cash buyers list? The biggest secret? Um, I wouldn't say it's necessarily a secret. I mean, I typically share, you know what I mean? Everything, uh, you know, I'm pretty open book. We do have a very you know, large buyers list because, you know, doing this 10 years, like you build a lot of buyers. Uh, but we have just a streamlined process, man. It's like we get the deal, like we'll send it out to the list. We'll go into RA Automator. We'll pull all the buyers around it. We'll hit them up. Uh, we'll post if we haven't sold it at that point. A lot of times we've already sold it by that point because, you know, we're in hot markets. Uh, then we'll go into like the local meetup dot com groups and we'll send an email out to all the members in those groups um then we'll go to facebook if we don't you know find anything there so there's a lot of these little like other like hacks that you can do that really require more work um but at this point like we're we're at a situation where we don't really need to you know go too far beyond that all right and uh i got one last question for james before i let you guys uh comment below and really Get your comments in and your questions for James because it's a hard. It's sometimes hard to get a guy like James on here who's doing, who's actually in this business doing really good stuff. So, James, on TikTok, you're showing some pretty cool uh, videos. You got some great like checks you just show. I mean, go, go follow him there. But you're doing hundred thousand dollar wholesales, and that's a big barrier for a lot of people. I mean, in Port St. Lucie, just the way the prices are, I mean, seventy is kind of the top line for us. So. How are you doing six-figure wholesale deals? Dude, I, I'll tell you what, man. A lot of it comes down to, A, like when you have a lot of opportunities um, and you have a strong sales process, it's inevitable that you're going to come across them, right? So, uh, you know, many times it's just either the sales skills aren't strong enough or you're not generating enough opportunities to pop off those kinds of deals. And what we find is about, you know, a couple every like quarter, you know, or so, or like just huge deals um, that will come across. And, you know, we, we go through a lot of opportunities to get them, but one of the big, big things like keys to this that I'll tell you is get an asking price. That's where a lot of people make the mistake. 
all right, is they present the offer. Um, and you know, then it's like, oh, well, if you present the offer, obviously you're not going to make an offer to get a hundred thousand dollar deal. No. Right. But if you have an asking price, then there's a good chance that you might be able to get a big deal. So that's really like a big, big key there. Okay. And is there any keys from actually trying to sell those deals? So when you're doing a hundred thousand plus assignment, are you double closing on these? Oh yeah. We double close those. We don't assign them. Okay. I just want to make sure. Uh, yeah. there. So now I knew no people that do hundred thousand dollar assignments. So we don't do them. We usually always double close just because it's not that difficult for us, like to just go ahead and double close it. Um, but typically with that big, we wouldn't assign it. Uh, but I mean, I think we have done, we did one that was like an $87,000 assignment, I believe. Jeez. Anything over 40. That was, single, <laughs> that was a single family house. Yeah. All right. Uh, so let's get some questions going here. So we got Scott pen and paper ready for notes. Uh, Cherry says, Hey James, I met you at Sean Terry's extreme freedom live 2019. Nice. Hey. All right. Sweet. Uh, let's see. We got Micah Cowper. What's up, Micah? Watching from the Big D. You and your pops are awesome. There's no one out there that shares as much as you and your family. Just closed three hours ago. Nice, man. Sweet. Nice. Uh, got some gems. Everyone's just showing the love here. Um, an investor's journey asks, how much is REI Automator per month? It's $97 a month. Okay. That's pretty good. And how many polls do you get on there? How many what? So how much data can you pull with that $97? You can download 10,000. All right. Sweet. And uh, let's see, way to go. I have 11 going. And then sh here she asking, what software are you using to manage your texting? So for texting, we use Launch Control. All right, sweet. And uh, that's unlimited, right? Uh, well, no, no, we have the the biggest plan. It's, no, it's not unlimited. Okay. Uh, I think we pay like $1,000 a month for ours because we send thousands of texts a day. Wow. And how are you actually moving? Do you have to move your phone numbers constantly with that? Yeah, we're always switching up numbers and stuff like that. And like, you know, but that's pretty common for all of the platforms that, that I've seen is like, you got to rotate your numbers. Definitely. You want to do that. All right. And let's see, PC asks, how do you test your cold calls? That's cold callers. How do I test, test my cold calls? Cold call. Not quite sure. <laughs> yeah. I'm not, um, not quite sure. Let's see. Krushi wants to know what if you can bring on people and train them. Then you get the percent of the profits that make them stay. Uh, that's interesting. I would never do that though. No, you know, I do have a good friend of mine that uh, I'm in collective genius. Um, and yeah, a good friend of mine in there. What he did, which was, was interesting. I've never seen anyone else do it. Is he wanted to remove himself even more from the business. He has a really big team. He's a virtual wholesaler. He's in like, I think six, seven different markets. He does a lot of deals like three, 400 deals a year. And what he did is start, like once he had a really, really strong team, he started giving everyone a little percentage, like of the, just a little team, like nothing, nothing crazy, but just a little piece of where they felt that they had that ownership in the company and it felt like it was more theirs. And, you know, that really, like he said, once he did that, um, they excelled and, you know, they're, they're consistently growing, but that wouldn't be for me. Um, probably I'm, I'm the same side as you on that, Zach, but, uh, yeah, you know, I mean, it works. It's worked before I've seen it work at least right. up until this point. Interesting here. And then 
see what's up zach i'm helping my dad wholesale his house as a three two how uh, one bed and one bath have fire damage though how does that affect the value of the property do you do a lot of fire damage houses james uh not a lot um that one that we were talking about before i got on uh before we went live that one okay. in North palm beach that we're doing which will probably i think we're going to flip it um it's it's on the water but it's a fire damage deal so i was just talking about fire damage the other day um, if you go to fire damage, I forget if it's fire damage property. Yeah. Fire damage properties.com. Um, that's what I'd use. And I just sign up and then, uh, you know, they'll just give you notifications every day of all the fire damage properties in whatever area or state, um, that you're in. And then you can just skip trace them and then boom, you got fire damage leads. Sweet. Um, yeah. So technically on this question, if one of the bed and bathrooms is fire damaged, yes, it does affect the property value. Absolutely. Uh, but you can get a discount on that. Scott wants to know, does REI Automator work in Dallas? Absolutely. All right. And uh, let's see, Demarion says late. No worries, bro. No worries. Uh, did you start making those big, uh, big deals or did you work up to that? Yeah, that's a great question. So, I mean, the first fix and flip we did was a hundred grand. So that was, you can almost count that the luck, right? <laughs> like, for the most part. Uh, but, it, you know, it, like we've always been pretty good about doing 20 to $40,000 like range deals. Like our average deal size range is usually about 20 grand. Um, and it was even higher than that for a while. So it, it was a couple years, you know what I mean? Before we started getting into like the big, big deals, um, you know, for the huge profits it is a process, right? Like you gotta, you know, start learning the markets that you're in and everything else in the areas and seeing like where you can go big and you know, where not to go big. So. And when you started out with the flipping, how did you get the money to actually do that flip? So he raised it. That, that was the whole deal. When I met him there, you know, he was like, you got this deal, which is a great deal is in Ponte Vedra beach where they do like the players championship um, and everything. If you like golf. So he, I was like, yeah, dude, if you can raise the money and you want to flip it, like I'm down to flip it. And that's how it worked. All right. Sweet. And uh, Viviana asks after how many deals did you decide to bring on more people? So I here. That's a great question too. This is what I think about that. I personally like, uh, you know, getting in there and learning the business and maybe I'm biased because that's, that's how I did it. So I think that you should push it to until it really becomes like you are the bottleneck and you're holding yourself back from doing more deals. I mean, one person by themselves, I mean, you can do six figures in this business, like by yourself with no team, nobody else like you you should have great profit margins so whenever you feel like you're capped out in like your time or the time that you're willing to allocate towards the business then it's time to start hiring out people but you need to have consistency right like don't start hiring unless you're consistently closing deals if you're closing a deal this month and then you might not close another deal for the next three months don't hire anyone yet like you got to start seeing that consistency and then in my opinion you know start capping out a little bit on your time and start hiring out all right yeah uh, i'm i'm definitely with you there i mean i was making six figures by myself but it yeah oh, 
it's a lot of work, but yeah, you learn the business stuff. So it, it really, really like plays to your advantage when you start hiring people because you understand all the different aspects. Like you were a transaction coordinator, you were dispositions, you were acquisition, you were marketing, you were all these different pieces. So you have a more of an intimate understanding of these different pieces in the business. So when you start hiring, like, you know what you're teaching them and you know what I mean? Training them to do. Definitely. And uh, Wu-Tang, cool name, man. I'm loving this right here. If you had to choose between Facebook ads or texting for marketing coming 2021, which would you choose? So for me, I've done a lot of both. Uh, I do a lot of texting right now. And even though it is like becoming more and more regulated, more and more, you know, little stress points coming up here and there for texting, um, I'm going to ride that thing till the wheels fall <laughs> um, because it does work extremely well. What I found with Facebook, um, if you're going to do Facebook, you really need to, you know, put a good size budget behind it. That's, that's where I see a lot of people fail on Facebook is they get started. And I'm not saying immediately, like obviously you need to test and work your way up. You know, don't just start a campaign and say it's $20,000 a month or something. But, uh, you know, what I found with Facebook leads, though, is they're just they're, there's good deals in there, man. But it, it is it is really tough. You just get a lot of flaky people from Facebook guys. That's just been my experience. Um, so I don't run them right now, but I have spent a lot of money on Facebook. I agree. I mean, I did the same thing in Florida, pretty close to yours. So yeah, same exact thing. Uh, Mike says without an 18 contractors, this can be really hurt your flip. So how do you find your A team of contractors? It was a painful, very costly process. <laughs> uh, it was a very expensive, painful process. I'll, I'll put it to you like that. Uh, I mean, we have lost, uh, I mean, I'm going to tell you, the, there's some war stories of, you know, just time and money that we've lost with hiring the wrong people. So you can try to get referrals and everything like that from, uh, you know, like the meetup.com groups in your market, like the RIAs, whatever. But this is what I'm going to tell you about these, the best of the best crews is typically they are already working for someone and like they're never going to be referred out right so it, it's really with the crews it's like trial and error of like trying them out trying them out until you find the right one and then just watching it really close um and just make sure you have your agreement in place where if they're not working out you're never giving them too much money you know what i mean in advance and stuff like that you got to really keep that tight um, and that way it's like, if they're not working out, then just get rid of them and, and try another one. Um, but no one will ever refer you like those prime crews because they're going to do their best to keep them busy, um, and keep them going for them when they work out really well. So it, that really was, that, that was the most difficult part that that's really the key to the entire fix and flip game. Um, the money like that, that isn't as big of a deal. There's tons and tons of money out there. Finding the right crews and right team to, to actually tackle the projects and do it timely and on budget, that's the real key to the game. Definitely. Have any nightmare storage with any contractors? Oh, dude. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> I mean, I, I mean, we've had crews like disappear on us, like you know, where we've done advances and like they ghost us for like a month, and then we just lose the money. And like, I mean, dude, it just goes on and on and on. We've lost thousands and thousands of dollars, you know, and just in, even on shoddy work too. One time, because of some shoddy work, we actually got sued um, mm -hmm. on this one flip that we uh, that we did, and. You know, it's like it was hard for us to disagree. Um, I mean, even though it was like it wasn't that bad, it was enough uh, to where and I believe it was like a pain issue on the exterior where they um, we had some lead paint, I believe. And I think for one, they didn't do the, you know, the right process where you bring in like you do the trash bags, you get hazmat, all that stuff. And then so they were like, they kind of just went over it and it started flaking off. That was one issue. And then um, some stuff inside on the interior of the house that was just shoddy. Um, and that was a newer crew that we had tried out. So we ended up just settling and saying, all right, well, here's $10,000. <laughs> um, you know, so it's like, it, you know, the crews, if you can find the right crews and like just the right team to, to do fix and flips, you can make a ton of money and you can do really, really well. Uh, but that is certainly the, the key component. All right, sweet. And uh, let's see, Scott, what's your website information and how can it uh, be integrated with Podio? Yeah, so, uh, well, depending on, I, I mean, we have everything set up. It depends on like how you want, how you want to integrate with Podio. Like in what way are you trying to integrate it? And I could answer that question, uh, you know, more specifically. But the website information is it's uh, flipmorehouses.com. All right, so just confirm this. This is the right one, right? Yep, yep. All right, it. guys, flipmorehouses.com. And then uh, let's see. Uh, Sidey says, honestly, I'm not big on cold calling. Is there any way to be involved or hire cold callers so I don't personally have to do it? Yeah, absolutely. You can hire cold callers if you want. Um, I mean, it, I, don't, I mean, some people are actually enjoy cold calling. Uh, usually the most sales savages are the ones that enjoy it. Uh, but I mean, I, don't, I mean, most people I know don't enjoy cold calling either. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't like the VA cold calling as much. So for me, like if I'm hiring cold callers, I at least want them like, like native, uh, you know, to, even if they are a VA, US based VA, if you want to do it that way. Uh, depending on what market you're in. If you're in a market like Miami, right? Like you could get like native Spanish speaking cold callers and you would probably actually do better than having English speaking cold callers. Um, so you definitely, any market like Miami and like South Florida, bilingual cold callers, hundred percent or you're not getting anywhere because there's just a lot of people here that don't even speak English. Um, so I would do US-based VAs. I'm not big on doing the overseas VAs for cold calling. We use them for texting, um, but we just never had great results with them as like cold callers, just because they don't understand the native language as well. Um, and then there's usually delays in the calls and stuff like that. So in our experience, that doesn't work out that well. So if you want to do that, VAs, but US-based. All right. And, uh, Guys, if you're getting any value, comment below. Show James that you're uh, he's providing some value, guys. He's definitely dropping the gems today. So 
Uh, Mike wants to know, do you have private investors fund deals? Have you ever used hard money lenders? Would you recommend using hard money lenders? Yeah. So we, we typically use private money. Like we've raised, uh, you know, we've raised a lot of private money. Yes. We've used hard money lenders many times as well. Um, but we typically have anywhere between like, uh, you know, two to $3 million like rolling, you know what I mean? And like private money, like with deals out that we're, uh, like actively flipping or, you know, whatever we're doing with them. Um, we have much more than that available. Uh, but for me, like I like private money a lot more because it's a lot more relationship based. Right. So usually there's more flexibility there uh, versus hard money lenders. Like usually the terms are the terms. Right. Like here's the types of deals that we're willing to do. Here's what we're not. Here's the terms like they might be slightly negotiable and, you know, on certain things, if you know what you're you're looking for. Um, but for the most part, private money is much more of a relationship where, you know, you might be flipping single family houses and then you're like, hey, I got this one I want to take down as a rental. Can we do a deal on that? And they're like, yeah. Or you're like, hey, I found a freaking apartment building, um, you know, depending on like the level of like money this individual might have. Are you willing to get into that? So I, I prefer much more of the relationship based, uh, you know, private money than I would over hard money. Uh, but starting out, like there's nothing wrong with using some, uh, some hard money lenders as well. Definitely. All right. And uh, last question here. Yeah, I'm in South Florida just looking to get my first deal, but not sure to approach I want to pursue taken. If you're in South Florida like him, how would you get your first deal? I'm going to tell you what, man, I would uh, trying to get when you're brand new and like, you know, you're talking about one of the hottest markets in the entire country, obviously, um, you know, you already have so many people doing like the main marketing channels at scale, not saying that you can't do a deal that way. Right. But the, the faster you could get to the deal, the more likelihood that you could get to a deal faster is doing some of the ways that they're not doing. Right. So like going back to what I was talking about before doing like the virtual driving for dollars, right? Like, you know, pull a list, like, you know, see, like go around, like, all right, this one looks good. This one looks good. The ones that need deferred maintenance that need work, build a list of those um, and, you know, start hitting them directly and, you know, aggressively. Uh, and, you know, then you're going to be doing some of the stuff that a lot of these other like bigger players in the markets, they're not doing. They're much more like streamlined. They have these marketing channels that they're doing like at scale. Um, so they're not going to be willing to do more of the like the lower stuff, right? Like door knocking, um, driving for dollars. Like most of them aren't going to do that type of stuff. So I think the opportunity to get in um, is uh, to get your first deal as fast as possible with minimal dollars invested is going that direction. Wow. All right. Uh, let's see here. And so my last couple of questions here is, James, this year for 2020, for 2020, basically, what was the largest wholesaling deal you've done? The largest one was, I believe, $101,300, like something like that. Jeez, man. That's crazy. So when uh when someone in Jacksonville or Duval County says, you know, there's just no deals here, it's just too saturated. I mean, what are your thoughts when people just say that? Because I hear it all the time. 
Oh yeah. I, I mean, so I, I tell you what you could do that would, you know, just alleviate that immediately. Just pull the cash transactions. Like as an example, you know, you could just, you could go into, even if you don't have any of the softwares, whatever, just go into list source. You know what I mean? You don't even have to buy the list and then just pull, right? Like here's all the cash buyers over the last year that bought a property. Just do two or more properties, right? Because in that way you, you're removing any of the, like homeowners that paid cash. Um, so just look at how many that is, right? And those are all deals that closed last year. Um, so that'll show you it's a staggering amount in, in most markets, right? Like Duval County, as an example, it's, it's a lot. So when you look at that, you're like, okay, I haven't even scratched the surface on how many cash transactions are truly happening. Um, so the business is there. Really, you're just playing the game of how do I get some of that business? <laughs> that's, that's really what you're doing because the transactions are happening. Like the deals are happening. Um, you just have to make it happen for you. But no, I mean, abundance mentality. Um, and, you know, how can you work with other people? I always take the approach of um, not trying to look at it as like, oh, you know, there's no deals, whatever. How can I work with other people and do more deals? Um, you know, how can you start building relationships with other wholesalers in the market? Uh, maybe you have buyers that they don't have that pay premium prices, stuff like that. So you got to take that positive approach in there and don't don't get you know caught up in thinking, oh, there's not enough deals. Trust me, there is plenty of deals out there to do. Definitely. I mean, the reason why I had you on the podcast and the reason why I vet every single guy is, I mean, you got a lot of followers on Instagram. I think one of the biggest problems, especially coming in 2021, there's a lot of people out there, you know, wearing a Gucci shirt. And uh, they have the nice car and they're just saying, yeah. my wholesaling training. I mean, you have a 30-day wholesaling training that's free that's coming up. But honestly, there's just so many guys out there not doing deals. And uh, I've seen you. I've seen you show checks. You're legitimate. You'll actually share the deals. That's why I appreciate it. You're a giver here. I mean, how can someone watching this when they go on Instagram or TikTok or YouTube, they're looking at their feed and they, they see a lot of young guns out here, you know, just showing that they're making all this money. How can someone know who should I actually learn from and who should I actually follow? Because your time is very important when you're following these people. How do you, when you're talking to other people networking, try to get the people that are not real versus the legit ones? Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I've been, like I said, I've been doing about 10 years, so I can typically sniff it out, you know, pretty, pretty quick of like who's real and who's not. Um, and, one thing I'll say too uh, about this is uh, the deal thing, right? So when you meet someone in the business, you know, a lot of the first things that you'll say to each other, you know, in conversation is like, oh, how many deals are you doing? How many deals are you doing? Yada, yada, yada. Well, really, the amount of deals like doesn't really matter as much as how much money you're making. Yep. Right. So that's more of like the vanity side of like, I'm doing 500 deals a year. Well, I can tell you right now, I know people that do five deals a year that make millions of Right. So um, the number of deals is completely irrelevant, but I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of this out there now where someone will do like one deal or two deal maybe. And then next thing you know, it's like I got 20 courses and like all these trainings and like follow me and like Lambo and all that stuff. So one, follow the people that you actually like that are relatable to you that, you know, fit similar to your personality and then verify, 
right? Like proof, 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 right? So like they're saying they're doing all these deals. They should have no problem showing you like HUDs all the time, the money in the bank all the time. Like that's a lot of the reasons why I do, uh, you know, the step-by-step -step, like walkthroughs on some deals now too. Like I'll pull some of my deals because people, you know, want to see like from start to finish, what did it look like from when the lead came in to the deal closed? And then I will do literally a step-by-step -step through the entire process, showing the HUD, showing the money in the bank. So you just need to verify. If they're saying they're doing all this business, they should be able to show you that they're doing all this business. And they should be able to provide you with a lot of value uh, for free, right? Without trying to charge for it. Uh, because if they were really making a lot of money in the actual business, they would need to be pushing so hard on social media, um, you know, to generate money through courses and stuff like that. I mean, I really, I stopped selling courses. I don't even sell any of them. I sell one thing and that's the software. Then I give away like all the courses and all the training and all that other stuff alongside with it. Um, and that's my main focus. So, you know, verify, right? Verify. And if it looks like it's probably not real, there's a good chance that it's probably not. <laughs> oh, I'm telling you right now. I, you're a giver. I really appreciate it. Got Adrian showing the love. He appreciates it. Thank you're, you. You're, you're dropping the gems. Everyone loves it. James, I'll be following you on IG, my dude. It's James on uh, Instagram. Uh, who is not real? Yeah, Joe, yeah. the reason I ask is there's people who claim they're doing seven-figure wholesaling and they're in my own market sometimes or in a virtual market and I, I can look these people up. But that's kind of what I was stating there. So before we hop off here, I mean, the last question I always ask is I started 300 bucks in my bank account as a bag boy. It's why it's called the Bags to Riches podcast. You started with 900 bucks. I mean, if you were back in St. Augustine as an 18 year old teenager, what would you do be to become the next James Hawk? Dude, I'm going to tell you right now. Like if I was 18 again, I would be trying to buy as many properties as I possibly could. But uh, what I would, what I would do is I would start out same type of way wholesaling, but I would try to push it that much faster. If I had the same knowledge that I had today um, and ramp that up. And then I would just steadily be taking that cash and just buying as much, doing as many like burrs as I possibly could. So by the time I was 30, like I'm sitting on hopefully a pile of equ equity and a pile of cash flow. Um, so I would take that approach right there. If I was starting all over again, just try to get to it as fast as possible. Clear out all the other BS, right? That you see on social media that's like, oh, you know, I got to take this money and I got to go buy the Lambo. I got to go, you know, to the design district and drop like 20 G's on like Givenchy and all this other stuff. Like, clear all that out. Just put the blinders on and then just stay focused. And before you know it, like, you'll have, you'll be doing extremely well and you'll pass way further than uh, any of your friends would be doing at that age, right? So um, you could really bump yourself ahead. And if you really wanted to retire by 30, if you were doing it right. Definitely. Uh, I mean, I know my business personally, uh, I don't want to retire. Uh, I love this business too much to be yeah. retiring. I mean, have you found that too? Yeah, no, I, I have no thoughts of like retiring anytime soon uh, at all because uh, I enjoy the business, right? Like I, I like share and I like teach and everything because I want to give back. Um, but I love the real estate investing business. That is my primary business. So that is my focus. 
but you know, I, I appreciate like uh, giving back because you know, here's the thing. I never went to college. Like I, I feel like I barely made it through high school, um, you know, and I get it right. Like I started with 900 bucks. I was in a nine to five and, you know, I always appreciated anyone that was willing to help me out and, you know, help. So it's like Denzel said it in that one speech uh, that he did uh, at that one college. He was like, you know, right. Elevate yourself and then bring up another, you know, that same type of mentality. Um, you can really, really help people and help change their life. Uh, because when it comes to the funeral day, man, when you're in the casket, no one's going to show up because of how much money you make, right? But people are going to show up because you helped them. That, that's why they're going to show up. That's powerful, man. I, I really appreciate it. Um, Flipmorehouses.com. Uh, what training are you doing on there? Because I, I think you're doing some. Yeah. So I'm doing start. It actually starts on Monday. I'm doing a live 30 day uh, training on uh, virtual wholesaling. It's going to be just very like chill, 30 minutes. 30 minutes per day, not the weekends where we're just going to go step by step. We'll be sending some marketing together, talking to some sellers. Like we're going to start it out with like making sure everyone's on the same page of like what this is um, and you know, what, how it's going to work and all that stuff. Like what is virtual wholesaling? Um, and then we're going to progressively keep moving until actually like talking to sellers, marketing, you know, working leads, following up all that good stuff. Um, but we're going to do that for 30 days straight and it's uh, exclusive just to members of RA Automator and it's free. Boom. James, thank you so much for coming on. Is there sure. any parting thoughts you have for the guests? Yeah. Yeah. What I would say is, you know, going into the new year, right? Uh, if you didn't get the results that you wanted to get this year, if you were already trying to be in the business, start trying to like, you know, do deals um, or you already were doing deals and you didn't do as many as you thought you were going to do. Um, that means that something is not working, right? Which is common sense, but that means you got to change something. So do your best to figure out like, what is that thing that is really holding me back? And oftentimes it's right in front of your face, by the way. Uh, you know, you don't realize it, but there is something that is holding you back. It could be, it could be uh, mental, right? It could be, you know, you don't have the right people. You don't have the right processes, whatever it is, but really look back over the year and say, Hey, this was the goal. This is, we didn't hit it. What was the real thing that held me back from hitting that goal and make sure you change that going into the new year? Because if you don't, then odds are you'll get the same results this coming year as you did last year. If you don't fix that thing. Boom. Thank you so much for coming on today. I wanted to just thank the whole flip with Rick family for it. This is the last live video of 2020. I'm telling you guys, we started out 150 subscribers getting like 10 views a day. We're ending it with thousands of views every single day. I truly appreciate everyone's support. I'm telling you right now, next year, in the Bags Versus podcast, we'll be having 52 guests, and it is going to be amazing. Hopefully, we can have James on again. Yeah, of But thank you guys so much. I really appreciate it. Go give James a follow. You're on YouTube, right, too? Yeah, yeah. I do have a YouTube channel as well, yeah. What is it? It's the uh, same thing at James, uh, James Hawk. All right, guys. Thank I appreciate you, so you having me on here too, bro. Thank you.